Hi, everyone. Welcome back to PS Editor's Podcast. I'm Whitney Arana, Associate Editor at PS, and I'm here with Jonathan Stein, our Managing Editor. Uh, last week, we shared our first episode of this podcast. Uh, we discussed Lucy Marcus's article on Trump's problematic leadership style. Um, and this week, we're talking about globalization. Yeah, well, uh, hi. Uh, have we come up with a name for this podcast? Are we, are we calling it It's a something? podcast. It's a podcast. It's an editor's podcast. Editor's podcast. Okay, that's a good name. So the issue with globalization... <laughs> Wither? Where where is it going? Uh, in an age of uh, rising nationalism and populism, um, it it seems we have a, a new administration in the U.S. that's withdrawing from uh, regional mega regional trade deals. Wants to revise NAFTA. Um, so the question is, uh, where is globalization going? Are we? Is it a full retreat from globalization, or is it going to change form? And so the, the, there are two pieces that uh, that we're going to focus on today. One by uh, Carl Bildt, who offers a robust defense of globalization and its uh, and and its track record uh, over the past half century, and especially over the last twenty five years. Uh, and the other one um, uh, by an economist named Arvind Subramanian, uh, who offers a, a very interesting perspective on um, the future of globalization. And it's a, a guardedly optimistic uh, forecast that sees a re-empowerment of, um, of, of the World Trade Organization in particular. So why don't, you know, I'll, I'll discuss a little bit about Bilt and, and why he's such a fan of globalization. And then maybe you can start taking us into Subramanian's piece, Whitney, yeah. on, on, on how... Um, how uh, globalization seems to be changing. And Bilt's, uh, you know, initial insight, which actually comes at the end of the piece, is that uh, the U.S., while the U.S. and many Western countries that have been the biggest sort of advocates and defenders of globalization are retreating from those prior commitments, it's ironically now communist China that has stepped into, stepped to the fore as uh, the 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 advocate and defender of uh, of an open global economy, and for obvious reasons, uh, China is heavily dependent on exports. Even though it's trying to alter its growth model to uh, uh, domestic consumption and services, it is it is very much dependent on on exports and on maintaining uh, an open global economy. And built you know cites some very uh, you know interesting and um, and important. Uh, uh, statistics, you know, noting, for example, that in the la- last half century, globally, life expectancy has gone up significantly, markedly, from 48 years to 71 years. Uh, this is; these are all averages. Obviously, there are there are many um, uh, outliers, both above and below, uh, and and poverty as well. Extreme poverty has fallen from 47 percent to 14 percent just since 1990. Right. You know, this is this is actually stunning. When you you know think of sort of all of human history, this is a a really really um, uh, stunning uh, development. Uh, so he is obviously lamenting, and the column is very much a, a lamentation of uh, the turn against globalization, given 
given what it's uh, what it has provided, and he sort of upholds the sort of the orthodoxy uh, that that uh, free trade advocates have have promoted um, throughout this period, the last quarter century of really rapid globalization and, and uh, empowerment first of the World Trade Organization and then. Uh, the the initiation and completion of a lot of um, uh, bilateral and mega regional regional uh, um, free trade deals, um, and Bilt also points out that uh, there there's been sort of like mislaid blame. Um, globalization has been blamed, for example, in the U.S. for the loss of manufacturing jobs, yeah. but as Bilt and many other PS contributors have pointed out, um, that's a that's more an issue of technology. Uh, artificial automation, intelligence, right, right. automation, right. and these are not forces that can be undone. And you know, the idea that the average American worker is just losing their job to a worker in Southeast Asia isn't isn't quite accurate. The, you know, and obviously, you know, one of the one of the objections to that argument is yes, eventually new jobs will be created, new industries will emerge, uh, boosting employment and compensating for employment lost. But this is a long-term process, and it requires uh, you know, very significant, um, not only economic adjustments, but adjustments in, in, you know, in personal lives. People are going to have to sell their houses and move to find, uh, to find those new jobs. And that's, that, so, so there's a lot of friction in this, in this, uh, in this adjustment process. Um, but whereas, you know, Bilt is basically lamenting uh, this turn towards nationalism, towards a mythical in-group from the past, uh, Subramanian actually offers a, uh, uh, some, uh, you know, some grounds for hope. What, yeah, it, he's pretty optimistic. Well, why? He, he sees an opportunity. Okay. He sees a very important opportunity because um, the multilateralism has been, a, you know, a, a, a victim kind of of all of this, it seems. But Subramanian has sort of a different take on what's happening. And he believes that the World Trade Organization, which is sort of the ultimate multilateral forum, um, actually could be reborn in this new era, precisely because of um, this rejection of the how is it how is it how is it eclipsed? What eclipsed the because the World Trade Organization? I remember you know in the early nineties everything was World Trade Organization. There's the Uruguay round, the this round, the that round, and that then was, they got yeah. He they, refers to this as the as like the heyday or the the peak yeah. of the World Trade Organization. But then uh, the regional arrangements, even bilateral arrangements, and more recently the mega regional arrangements like the Trans Pacific Partnership. Um, took over and countries were more interested in developing these free trade agreements. Even, you know, you look at the European Union functioned as its own you yeah. know, free trade zone. So there wasn't as much need and it was actually much more difficult. He discusses one reason for this. Um, he distinguishes between globalization and what, what, what he calls hyperglobalization. And he believes that what people are actually rejecting is hyperglobalization, which is the type of globalization that involves a lot of movement of labor, a lot of immigration. It also involves harmonizing regulations and uh, breaking down all barriers. And Sometimes a common currency is in the yeah, eurozone. Yeah, in the eurozone. Right? So he calls it deep integration. It's basically deep integration, right? Yeah. 
And this is regional arrangements or these kind of smaller scale arrangements are much better suited to manage that kind of integration. You couldn't do a, you know, World Trade Organization doing the kind of integration that the EU has has tried to do. So his idea is that now that those elements of globalization are being rejected, um, that now suddenly the multilateral World Trade Organization, what he calls... Uh, will will control what he calls shallow uh, integration or shallow globalization. And it's this idea that then, you know, everybody does stand to benefit from some semblance of free trade. There's there's no reason, and it's not even really possible, the idea of of shutting those, those doors. However, the World Trade Organization is better suited to manage this kind of, not integration, just just to create the rules and sort of a general ground rules and agreement for continued and, and to, trade and, to resolve and cooperation disputes. and to resolve you know that's yeah. been always been the WTO's greatest strength is it's got this very legitimate enforceable uh, dispute resolution mechanism and he right? believes that countries will take Donald Trump for example if he if he incorporates some of the protectionist policies he says he wants to um, implement that countries will take it to the WTO and that will kind of reinvigorate the WTO as a very important player. In yeah, this. I, I, he's, it's a very it's a very interesting piece. It's a rich piece. And I, uh, you know, I think we should encourage people to uh, uh, to read it and engage with it. Um, it you know, he, he has this very interesting line. He says, uh, you know, that he has argued in the past that multilateralism offered the best means for ensuring the peaceful rise of new powers, but it seems that the same argument could apply equally well to the management of receding powers, right? <laughs> so, you know, you've got this situation where, you know, all of these these economies started integrating on a regional basis, the North American Free Trade Agreement, the European Union, uh, and, and so forth, and that eclipsed the WTO. Uh, and Really, you saw that with the failure of the Doha development round. Negotiations went on for years and years, collapsed over agricultural subsidies, and that was basically it. The WTO has been moribund since then in terms of um, advancing a free trade agenda. Now, with the EU in crisis, you know, Brexit happening, um, uh, the, the, the U.S. Uh, turning more inward, uh, the dynamic underlying uh, the return of multilateralism is basically that small countries do better in a multi, they have a more bargaining power uh, in a multilateral setting than they do in, uh, in, in negotiating either bilateral agreements with much larger economies or in, uh, in, in mega regional arrangements. So that as, you, as you, you, know, you get this sort of renationalization of politics and economic policy, there's an incentive to go back toward the WTO. Yeah, um, and he highlights as well, um, it's often been discussed now China's kind of stepping up and yeah. perhaps China will take the place of the US in advancing globalization. But you know, as many of our contributors have pointed out, there are certainly concerns about China's intentions, China's ability to act as a global leader. Um, and what Subramanian does or discusses a little bit differently is he talks about instead of saying we need one new leader to champion multilateralism, he highlights um, the importance of mid-sized economies. Yeah, exactly. He he lists you know which 
well, Australia, yeah, Brazil, right. the United Kingdom, Mexico. These are the countries. And he said, well, in his own country as well, India. He's the chief economic advisor to the government of India. Uh, so, you know, he includes India and, and, and possibly uh, China and Japan. But that's exactly right. It's these mid-sized economies that have an interest in, in, in global openness that should be leading the charge, he's, he, he thinks. Yeah, I believe he calls it like a consortium, this 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 group that are that are now going to lead the way. And and the WTO will be the perfect forum for them to to operate within, in his opinion. Okay, I think that that's uh, pretty much it. Um, I think we've summed up the two the two pieces very well. Um, thank you for uh, for listening once again to our, our our podcast. We encourage you to read these uh, these two very interesting pieces. Carl Bildt, former foreign minister and prime minister of Sweden, and Arvan Subramanian, uh, who's the chief economic advisor uh, to the government of India. I'm uh, Jonathan Stein, managing editor of Project Syndicate, and I'm Whitney Rana, associate editor. Thanks for listening. <laughs>